Hello, and welcome to Gilead. My name is Soren Hotshire, and I am the Office and Communications Admin here. Thank you so much for joining us. This past Sunday, Sunday, October 15th, 2023, Pastor Vince Amlin was preaching about dreams and oracles in our series, Dreams and Oracles, but talking about his specific dreams, about God, the power of God, and if we're strong enough to understand God's messages to us. So sit back and enjoy. At least once a week, something small and coincidental will happen, like I will randomly grab just the right number of forks for the people who are eating, or someone will pull out of the last available parking spot on the block just in time for me to sweep in, or the movie we want to see will be starting at just the right time for us to leave at that moment. And each time, entirely too often, I tell the same joke. Look what God can do. Okay, joke may be strong, only Monica thinks it's a joke, but it is meant to be a laugh line when I say it. Mostly because I always say it about something so insignificant that it feels ridiculous to credit God with like such a meaningless miracle. But also because I'm just not that woo-woo. Like, I know that some people legitimately have a saint's medal hanging in their car for good luck parking, but that's not me. I don't believe in ghosts, I'm sorry, Sarah, or astrology, or past life regression. I will fuck with an oracle deck, but just because it's, like, cute and fun. I've only ever had a tarot reading as part of the Gilead Telethon, and I've never owned a dream dictionary. Still, sometimes there are moments when no matter what you believe, no matter how skeptical and ironic you make yourself out to be, woo-woo just happens to you. One month into my sabbatical this summer, I had hit a low point. I was walking the Camino Primitivo, hiking 200 miles through the mountains in northern Spain. And two days before, on this section that pilgrims unaffectionately call the leg wrecker, I had wrecked my left leg. Seven miles outside of the town where my newfound friends and I were planning to spend the night, my left quad started cramping, like, uncontrollably. I limped for two and a half miles into another town with beds available for that night, and I said goodbye to my companions, knowing that I wouldn't catch up with them again. I stayed off my leg for the rest of the day, and by the next morning, it felt good enough to walk on, and I made it 17 out of the 19 miles that I was planning to do that day until it started to act up again. So I hobbled into this medieval city of Lugo before I noticed that also my nose was running. I seemed to be getting a cold. I started to worry that I wasn't going to make it to Santiago, which was another like four days of walking. I was anxious and injured and sick and alone, so I booked a room for two nights hoping a rest day would help. That night, I didn't have the energy to deal with going out to dinner, so I ducked into a grocery store and bought a bottle of wine, a jar of queso, and a bag of tortilla chips. Just trying to really, like, inhabit Spain. <laughs> I headed back to my apartment, which had no corkscrew, and I briefly thought of breaking off the top of the bottle, 
but instead I just ate that entire bag of chips in bed and went to sleep. And that's when I had the dream. In it, I was in a circle of people at some kind of retreat. We were outside and we'd built this big bonfire or we'd piled up the wood for a big bonfire and we'd soaked it with lighter fluid for good measure. But when one of the leaders struck the match and tossed it in, the flames burst up for a moment and then fizzled and went out. And I was pissed. Like we'd done all this work, we'd gathered this group, planned this retreat, and now we had no fire. And one of the leaders suggested that we should pray. Actually, he specifically suggested that I should pray because he could see how angry I was. And he said that whoever is feeling the strongest emotion should be the one who prays, which has nothing to do with this sermon, but I thought it was an interesting point. And I started to pray with that anger, anger toward God, that we had built the fire and God had failed to bring the flame. That after all, all we were trying to do was to have a retreat, to connect with God, and, and God couldn't bless our efforts with like a little bonfire. And then in the dream, I started referencing a story from the book of First Kings in the Bible, which I realize is a lot to confess, but there it is. I said to God, Elijah poured water all over his fire and you set it ablaze. But we used lighter fluid and you couldn't be bothered. And then in the dream, I had the sense that God was responding, telling me, if you want a fire like Elijah's, build a fire like Elijah's. And then I woke up basically like still praying, and I had this sense that I was supposed to get up and read 1 Kings 18, so I got up and read 1 Kings 18 in the middle of the night because, no, I'm not that woo-woo, but there are limits. Here are the basics of that story in case you haven't woken up and read it in the middle of the night recently. There's a king, Ahab, who has turned away from the God of Israel toward other gods, Baal and Asherah. And Elijah, God's prophet, confronts him. Elijah tells Ahab, call all of Israel together. We're going to settle this. You have your 850 prophets all build a pile of wood and sacrifice a bull on it. And then they can call on their gods to light that fire. And I will do the same. And the first fire to be lit is the true God. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah build their fire and they call on their gods and nothing happens and they cry out and they cut their bodies and still nothing happens. And then Elijah builds his fire and when he's stacked up all the wood, he calls for four jars of water and he pours them on top and then four more and then four more until things are thoroughly soaked and there's a trench of water all around the wood. And he calls on the God of Israel and the fire that comes down is so strong that it burns up not just the wood, but the stones and the dust and the water. And I read this in the middle of the night, sick and lonely and 
majored, and I wrote it all down in my journal because it seemed like it meant something important. And then I put that journal away, and I didn't bring it out again because I had no idea what to make of it. I don't do dream interpretation. And then it was September, and we were starting this series called Dreams and Oracles. And I didn't know what to preach because I don't do this stuff, but I remembered that dream, so I took out that journal and it hit me, it struck me how bold I had been in my dream and what exactly I had asked of God to light a fire like Elijah's. It hit me what Elijah had done. I think back then I was thinking mostly about the fire, but it hit me this time reading it what Elijah had done before the fire, the faith that it would take to issue that kind of challenge, to build that kind of fire and pour the water on, but, but even before that, to stand in front of all the people and insist that God was going to light it, to stake God's reputation on it, to stake his own reputation. How could I ever have the faith to stand before you in, in earnestness? and point to a soggy pile of wood and say sincerely, look what God can do. That's what I thought this sermon was about. That's what we built the service around, that question of like, am I woo-woo enough to call on the power of God or, or to believe in it? Can I, can we do what Elijah did? Just to be clear, not to like light a bull on fire and shame the prophets of idols, but to ask God to do something big and powerful and meaningful, to demand that God take action on something impossible and to actually have the faith to stake our reputations on it, to stake God's. Do I have what it takes? Could I ever have what it takes to do what Elijah did? So this week, I tried to look back at Elijah's story from the beginning to see how he was able to do what he did. And his story doesn't start that much before this, just one chapter. And I got to the beginning of it, to the first miracle he ever performed. And that miracle story goes like this. God tells Elijah to go out into the wilderness and live by a certain well, and God will send ravens to feed him. And Elijah goes to the wilderness, to the well, and lives there, and every morning and night, the ravens feed him. That's the story. This mighty and faithful prophet, the first thing he does is nothing. He just sits there, and God feeds him. His first miracle is not his miracle at all. It's God's, because, of course, Though I didn't think of it until I read the story, that's what a miracle is. It's not something you do, but something that God does. The point of Elijah's story is not about what Elijah can do, but what God can do, which is actually also Elijah's message to the people in front of whom he builds the fire. It's the Bible's message over and over again to people who turn toward idols. You are worshiping the work of your own hands. Statues that you have made, gods of your own creation, you're trying to draw power from what you can do. 
how is that working for you? In that dream, lying there in Lugo, sick and injured and exhausted from days and weeks and months and years of trying to do as much as I could possibly do, that dream didn't come to tell me to work harder or to be more faithful, to do better, to chop wood or carry water. came to tell me, and, and maybe you, if you've ever felt this way, that it was up to you to make it happen, to prove it can be done, to fix it, to save them, to perform the impossible. That dream came to tell me to stop, to put down the lighter fluid and the matches, to not depend on the work of my own hands. God is telling us if you're woo-woo enough to believe that God tells us things. God is telling us you've worked so long and struggled so hard to show what you can do. Stop. Wait. Watch. Look what I can do.